You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Morning. For those of you who didn't know, it was Luke Hedinger's birthday yesterday. Yeah. You did it. <laughs> Another year. My name is Todd, and I'm uh, one of the lay elders here at Anthem Church, which means I work at Shelter Insurance, but I help lead the church and serve on the teaching team. So <laughs> if you need to underwrite your house or something, I'm also, I can, I can help you with that as well. <laughs> Just a multi, I'm a Swiss Army Christian, so... Um, so this morning we're going to be in Genesis 27. We're continuing our study there. If you open your Bibles or your apps, and uh, even that song, the verse, uh, "No, no power of hell or scheme of man can ever pluck us from His hand." And today we're going to see some scheming. We're going to see people who are, who have some plans and some schemes and are trying to figure out what they want out of this life. And a lot of that comes down to this question of what what do you deserve? Would the world be a better place if people just got what they deserved? Have you ever find yourself thinking about like what you deserve? You ever see somebody get something you thought you deserved? That easy for you to watch somebody get promoted when you're the one who worked hard? And so is it hard for you to watch other people get good things that you feel like you deserve? Is it hard to watch people not get the bad things you think they deserve? They just skate. They don't get what they deserve. Or you ever you ever feel that tension in your own soul of like ah I, des- I deserve something else other than what I have and there's that tension of feeling like you deserve something or looking out and feeling like other people deserve things and where's God in all of it when when we're trying to figure stuff out and do we have to take it into our own hands to make sure we get what we deserve is it up to us to make sure other people get what they deserve and where's God in all of it those questions are all in play today as we open up Genesis 27 we got lots of verses so let's get to work. Genesis 27, we'll start with the first four verses. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die." So Isaac is old, and, he, and he's worried that he's about to die. He's, he's around 135, 140 years old. So, you know, he's had a good run. <laughs> and, 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 to, and to compliment it even more, his brother Ishmael died at 137. So, like, if you've had older, if you had, like, like your dad died of, at 52 of a heart attack, once you get to 52, you're like, this is the age that my dad was when he passed away. Or this is the age my brother was when he passed away. He's, he's kind of dealing with that thing. He's like, I've had family members pass away at 137. Maybe I should start kind of getting my ducks in a row here. Maybe I should start getting things figured out. I, my time is probably soon here. Um, and so he's feeling that pressure. And so he wants one kind of final meal, one kind of big feast. If I'm going to, like have a go at it. I just want one big final meal, and I want it to be my favorite meal. And, uh, and so he, you see here he asks Esau to go and prepare it. But why Esau? Why not Jacob? Why not ask Jacob to do it? Or why not Rebecca? you telling me his favorite meal is one his son cooks and not one that his wife has made over the 137 years of his life? He hasn't found one favorite meal? Well, we actually find the reason for that. I have it up on a slide for you. Back in Genesis 25, verses 27 and 28, on the slide you'll see it says, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. 
So the reason why he wants Esau to do it is because Esau is a great hunter, and he has this, like, knack for seasoning things just right. Like, if he was at the Anthem Outdoor things last night, he would have just raked, you know? He would have won every category. He would have been a Hayek, you know? He would have just won everything. <laughs> but Esau's also the kind of guy, he would have won all the sporting events, but then he would have sold all the guns and everything he won for, like, an applesauce packet, because he like forgot to pack a snack for the 20-minute drive home. <laughs> he's like, what good is all these guns if I die of hunger on the drive home? Like, that, he's that kind of guy. Like, his belly just rules him, but he's great at hunting. And so, and apparently he makes a great steak. He just has the knack for it. And so Isaac wants him to go do it. And, and you see what? And because of all that, he loved him. He loved Esau. And, but do you see in this household, Rebecca loved Jacob. So you have a house that's divided. You have two teams in one household. So there's a competition going, and there's one dream, and they're both competing for it. So it's two teams, one dream. And that's not the way houses should be. Houses should be one team, one dream. We're all in it together. We're all trying to accomplish the same thing. A victory for my wife is a victory for me. Like if one of the kids says, oh, I love mom, I don't get jealous and be like, why doesn't she love me? I'm dad. I go to work all day. One team, one dream. A win for her is a win for me. If the kids come running to me when I get home from work, Daddy, haven't seen you all day. Paige doesn't sit in the corner pouting and be like, wow, I've been here all day. Would you just take me for granted? Now dad comes home, he's the rock star. One team, one dream. And some of you who grew up in households where where the two teams element was part of it, there were favorites. And you you think if, if Moses writing this about this family knew it, do you think they were aware of it? You think, you think Jacob knew who the favorite was, who, whose dad loved? Do you think the kids were aware of it? If Moses knew when he wrote it, I bet the people in the family felt the weight of that even more. And maybe some of you have felt that in your own families. Maybe divorce has caused that. Like, you feel the tension of two teams. And so you come across verses like, Children, honor your father and mother in the Lord, for this is right. And you as a child say, which one? To honor dad is to dishonor mom, because dad hates mom. Or it is to undercut mom. To honor mom is to undercut dad because there's two teams in this household. This will be our little secret, don't tell dad. Some of you grew up in that household and you feel the tension of like, I don't know how to be a kid in this house. I can't honor both my parents. That's the tension these people live in. Two teams, but one dream. They're all chasing the same thing, but there can only be one. And so they're divided and they're against each other. But there is another team. Look at verses 5 through 17 here. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau, I don't know if she had like her, a cup up to the tent. You know, if she was, it, it, it implies that like this was not just like she so happened to hear it. Like she was in the habit of spying on the other team, trying to gain information. So she's listening and she heard this conversation. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, her team, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. It was probably a whisper. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it. And bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. So she's figured out some Pinterest kind of hack on how to, like, do a copycat recipe for whatever Esau's up to. She's figured out the recipe by now. So, okay, so I'll figure this out, and you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies, not Esau. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. I don't know if he said it like that. (laughs) It's not the complimentary kind of smooth. It's like the I can't grow a beard kind of smooth. Uh, So it's not not that. So uh, perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. Go, bring them to me. 
So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, in his hand of her son, Jacob. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the plan? <laughs> like, and, 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 like, and she like, came up with that plan really fast. <laughs> Like, it's like, it's almost like she had been thinking like that this day might come where we have to trick your dad. And so she's been planning and figuring this thing out. And so she goes into like full like threat level midnight where she's like, okay, here's what I need. I need two goats, stat, and bring me my Pinterest book. I need, I got all the copycat recipes there and bring me my weird sewing kit. Cause I'm going to like, we're going to have the weirdest Halloween ever. <laughs> it's going to get real strange here real fast, Jacob. <laughs> but she's, she goes into, she knows exactly what to do. She's like, you hear multiple times, obey me, my son, obey me. I know what to do here. We'll, your dad and Esau, pff, we, we got them. We got this. Your name is Jacob. Your name means deceiver. We got this. We can figure this out. We can win. And what's Jacob's response? No, that, we shouldn't do that to dad. That's our dad. That's your husband. No, that's my brother. Or, oh, that sounds really gross. I don't want to be covered in bloody goats. Is that his response? No. What's his response? Won't I get caught? <laughs> he's like, how are we going to get away with it? I'm, I'm smooth, man. <laughs> I'm gonna, he's going to know. And so she's got a plan for that, too. She's got all of her bases covered. And this is, this is what my wife would call shenanigans. <laughs> she would just call shenanigans on this. She'd be like, this is nuts. What are you people doing? <laughs> shenanigans. This is just crazy. Why is this the plan? Now, like, imagine what Jacob looks like at the end of this process. She has just taken two goats and butchered them and then taken the skins. And this is in haste. Like, we got to move because Esau, who knows? He's a good hunter. He might be back soon. So she takes the bloody goat skins and, like, tapes them to her son or like sews them into like a weird Sasquatch costume and like wraps him up in this bloody goat costume. And then did you catch it? She put, so, so he's already like covered in like goat hair. And then she takes Esau's best clothes and puts them on top of the Wookiee outfit. <laughs> like, I don't know what Esau's best clothes were. I mean, he's kind of like a hunter. So maybe it was like bib overalls or something with like a bolo tie or something. Like, I don't know what his best clothes were, but she just ruined them. <laughs> putting him on top of this bloody outfit. And so, like, you imagine this guy coming to your house for Halloween? It's like ding-dong, like, trick-or-treat, like, nope. <laughs> He's, like, dripping blood from his fingers. <laughs> like, this is, and this is, this is, like, what they came up with. This is their plan. And listen, here's the kicker. This is a crazy plan. It's a lot of work, and it's a lot of frantic scrambling to make this happen. And all of it is absolutely unnecessary. The blessing is Jacob's. It always has been. God said so. It's his. He doesn't have to be doing any of this. He's going through all this effort. He's pretending to be somebody who's not. He's scrambling. He's scheming. He's plotting. He's worried about what other people are doing, all to get something that's already his. Back in Genesis 25, when they were still infants in their child's womb, God said the younger will rule over the older. He will be the one who takes on the blessing. God had decreed it. That was what was going to happen. Now, Jacob could have rested in God's word and said, I don't know how this all shakes out, but I trust God's word. If I'm supposed to have it, I will have it. I don't want it if I have to get it this way. That could have been his plan. He could have just rested in what God said. And, and how many of us Christians are like Jacob, though? We spend so much time scrambling and struggling and pretending to be people we aren't to get something we already have. In Jesus, you have everything. 
You have satisfaction, you have value, you have worth, you have dignity, and yet you chase those things down through promotions, through relationships, through social media statuses and jealousy and envy, trying to get for yourself something that in Jesus, if you just rested, you already have. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 3.21. have it up on the slide for you. 1 Corinthians 3.21. This is spoken to Christians. So you, Christian, if this is you this morning, if you are in Christ, you worship him. He's your Lord and your Savior. All things are yours, the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So much of our efforts are spent on trying to get stuff if we just rested in Christ. We already have. So much effort, so much pretending to impress people, to get things from them that you already could have just by being yourself, by confessing your sins and laying yourself bare before Jesus, you would already have what you're working so hard to get from other people, from other situations. But Jacob is like us. He's scrambling around, stressing out, trying to get things that he thinks he deserves or that he needs, and he's not sure if God's going to come through. And so if I don't do something, who knows what might happen? And so Jacob somehow sees this plan as less crazy than just trusting God. This plan, standing here covered in bloody goat skins and Esau's clothes with food, which is a knockoff of Esau's, is a better plan than just trusting what God has said. That seems less crazy to him at the moment. Maybe you've been there, where you do some crazy stuff, and if you just trusted God's word, what he's already said, just resting in that. And so we see the story continues, verses 18 through 29. Last chance, you know, to, to once, you're, once you walk through that door, you're committed. Like, everything up until now is like dress rehearsal, but the second you walk through that tent, you're in it. Jacob doesn't take the off ramp, he just walks through the door. So he went into his father and said, <clears throat> in his best Esau voice, my father. And he said, here I am, who are you, my son? <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like Jacob or Esau, That's that made up voice, <laughs> like, split the difference. I don't know who, who I'm dealing with here. Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Like he's back a lot sooner than you'd expect. He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. <laughs> oh, like God doesn't come up much in this passage at all. This is God's people trying to get God's blessings without even consulting God on how to get it. But the one time he does come up is when he blasphemes God here. This, and this is the truest essence of taking God's name in vain. It's associating him with something that has nothing to do with him. God did not help him and his mother concoct this scheme, this plan, this lie. But he, he knows that it's, a, it's the Christianese he's learned to speak to get himself out of this. So he's like, the Lord your God granted me success. That's why I'm here so quickly. It's a God thing. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Isaac has some suspicion, right? He's like, this is weird. You're back really fast. Your voice sounds funny. Come here. I want to I feel you to, to find out if this is right or not. And, and so Jacob went near to, his, to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, doing an Esau impression, but the hands are the hands of Esau, which gives you some indication, like, how hairy is Esau? <laughs> like, like, if feeling a goat skin is like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> Like, oh my word, like, what does Esau look like? And good thing, like, and we saw earlier, you know, Isaac's blind. So, I mean, this is like, he's just going by senses. He's like, oh, it feels right. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. And so he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? Last chance. You're like, last chance, Jacob, you're going to come clean? He said, I am. Just bold-faced lie. 
Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And apparently it was a good knockoff because he didn't notice that it wasn't the real deal. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. So that's where Esau's clothes come in because now he can smell Esau on him. You know how people have like a smell, especially people who spend a lot of time outdoors. They have like a certain, like a musky kind of, he had a smell. Like people have smells to him and he could smell. He's like, that's Esau. That's Esau. I know that for sure. And he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your son, mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is just lies, lies, lies. Like every chance he gets, he lies, he masks his voice, he says that God blessed him, he outright says, I am Esau, like all of it is just lies and scheming to try and get this blessing. And the worst part of it all, he gets away with it. Like, is there a part of you, like, that, that, remember that thing I referenced, that people getting what they deserve, is there a part of you that wants him to get busted here? Like, this is scandalous, he has just deceiving his father outright. He's calling God into, into the equation and just blaspheming God in front of this guy, and he gets away with it. Like, isn't there a party that just wants to see him, like, get busted here, like, slip up somehow? But he gets away with it. He doesn't get caught. He gets blessed. He gets the blessing. He gets the thing that he wanted. And party is just like, if you're like me, you're like, bad behavior shouldn't be rewarded, right? I hate watching people do bad things and then get rewarded for it. Like, you want them to get caught. You want to see justice done, but God is not here rewarding Jacob for this scheme. He is keeping his promise. This has nothing to do with Jacob. This has everything to do with what God said would happen. And God promised. I have it up on the screen for you, that promise from Genesis 25. Look what God told Jacob and Esau's mother when she was still pregnant. He said, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So before any of this ever started, God had said who was going to get the blessing. He said who was going to carry on the family name, who the Messiah would come through was going to be through one son or the other, and it was going to be the younger one, in this case, Jacob, who was born second. But not by much. You remember he grabbed Esau's heel. He was right on his heels, literally speaking, ready to go, coming out of the gate. So does that mean that Jacob's behavior doesn't matter? Is that what this means? Like, just do whatever you want, and God will bless you anyways? Is that the lesson here? Like, Jacob just gets to do what he wants and gets away with it? Is that the lesson? Does that, that would incite a sense of like injustice in us, right? It does me. You're like, this doesn't seem right. But this isn't about Jacob. It's about God. It's not about Jacob's behavior. It's about God's behavior. And the fact that God's behavior matters more than Jacob's in this case. The fact that God said he would do it and keeps his promise is more important than all the scandalous stuff that Jacob is up to. Because you do understand, in this story, of the four people, you have Isaac, who's trying to give a gift to his son he shouldn't. You have Esau, who's trying to get something back that he outright sold to his brother Jacob a few chapters back. It's not his anymore. He's trying to steal it back. You have Jacob, who's pretending to be Esau, and you have Rebecca, who's concocting this whole plan trying to get it. Does any of these people deserve the blessing? If God was going to say, well, okay, let's just give the blessing to the person who deserves it, who would get it? No one. <laughs> and then the plan of God dies, and we all die with it. If people got what they deserved in this story, the plan to save the world through the, Messiah, the messianic seed of the serpent crusher who would come through this family would just have been snuffed out in this family. Because God would look down and be like, 
you four people, none of you deserve good things. I'm just going to cut bait on this plan. We're done. But God keeps his promises. And that's what this is about. This is not about Jacob being rewarded for bad behavior. This is God staying true to what he said would happen, which is blessing Jacob to keep the family line going. And for us, that's really good news. The fact that God keeps his promises despite what we deserve. The fact that God doesn't give us what we deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve is really good news. But what about Esau? He's still out hunting, right? He's still at the Anthem Outdoors event. He doesn't know what's going on at all. Like, he's just like, do-do-do. <laughs> he's having a great day hunting. He thinks it's, you know, going to be fine. So he's still out, but he's on his way back now. So feel the tension of, like, this whole thing's happening, and Jacob's on a timeline. He's like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> like, I got to get this. And so he gets this done, wraps it up, heads out. Look at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, so, like, the second the ceremony's over, Jacob had scarcely gone out, so he's like barely out the door from the presence of Isaac, his father, when Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless him. His father said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently. Like it's, it's actually in Hebrew, it's like double. It's like he trembled, trembled. It's like his trembles got trembles. It's like his muscles got muscles. You know, it's like, it's like he trembled, trembled. Like he just, he's like coming undone. He's like, I am busted. Like, oh no, I blessed the wrong son. Like I am caught. I was trying to trick God. I was trying to go out from under God's plan and do this thing on my own in secret in this tent instead of having a public ceremony and handing the baton to my son Esau. I'm so proud of you. You get to rule the house. He tried to do it in secret and subterfuge and scheming and he's busted and he knows it. You ever had that? You're dead to rights, like God has you dead to rights. And you're like, oh, he's coming undone. Is literally like, like the Hebrew sentiment of it. He's like coming unraveled. And he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came and I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him lord over you, and all of his brothers I have given, him to, given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? I've given him everything. Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. For the third time we see he's just crying. Then Isaac, his father, answered him and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Three times Esau is just the passion, the, the realization of what has happened is coming on him. And he, there's nothing to do but just cry. He's just, oh, like, oh, I can't believe, like, it's over, like, I can't believe it. This, is, this can't be how the story ends. And he, he has all the feels, all of them. Like he's just passionately upset by what's happened. And, and I would say like he, he's, he's, fin he's finally passionate about this. And I would say finally. It's about time, Esau. It's about time you care about this thing. 
right? Like up until now, he hasn't cared at all. You remember a few chapters back, even in his own retelling of the story, he kind of, re- people tend to remember history wrong. They tend to see it from their own vantage point. He's like, oh, he stole the blessing from me. He's like, did he or did you sell it to him for a bowl of soup? Did he really steal from me? He might have tricked you. I mean, but like he took advantage of it. You didn't have to sell it. Like you're kind of remembering things wrong here, Esau. And he finally cares. Back then he didn't. He thought he was like, well, who cares about a bowl? Who cares about a birthright when I'm starving to death? Who cares about it? I just, he was treating it like it was a light thing. He didn't take it seriously. But now that it's all over, there's no more chance. There's no going back. It is done. Now he cares. Now he cares passionately. He's full of passion about it now that it's too late. And there's no do-overs. Look what Hebrews 12 says. I have it up on the screen for you. Verses 16 through 17. The Bible tells us we're supposed to look at the story of Esau and in our present lives gain insight and wisdom from it. Look what the wisdom we're supposed to draw from this event is. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Esau didn't want it until it was too late. And now he really cares. What's the lesson the New Testament says? Don't treat salvation and Jesus and the kingdom of God as something light to be put off until later. Don't treat it like something you can do when you get older and have kids. Don't treat it like something I'll do when I get married and get serious about life. Don't treat it like something, oh, when I'm retired, I'll take Jesus more seriously. I'll finally start serving the church and doing things. Your plan can't be I'll take Jesus seriously someday later. That can't be the plan. Because what will happen is you will die And it will all of a sudden be very important to you to take it seriously. And it will be too late. There comes a time where you can't can't retroactively get serious about it anymore. The time to get serious about it is now. And Esau was regretting in this moment, I blew it. All this time I had, I could have tried to take it seriously. I could have, but I didn't. I just treated it like something that was nothing. I traded it for a bowl of soup. I traded the kingdom of God for a relationship with some person I know I'm not supposed to be in. I traded it for a career I know I shouldn't pursue. I traded it for something light and silly in comparison now that I'm facing the reality of my decisions. And now that I want it to be serious about it, and now that I care and my heart's in it, it's too late. Don't be like Esau, Scripture says. Don't wait. Don't assume you'll care about it later. Care now. Do what a person who cares about it would do right now. The plan can't be to wait till later. Don't despise God's kingdom now, only to prize it later when it's too late. Everybody in hell wishes they had made a different decision. Everybody there prizes heaven now. Everybody there wishes they had gone to the good place. All of them look back on their life and the decisions they made. And they're like, ah, now that I care. And that's the double weight. That's why Esau is so undone by this. Because now he cares and there's nothing to do about it. It's too late. Don't wait to care. Care now. But does Esau blame himself? Is Esau like, oh, count himself a thousand fools? <laughs> Is that, his, is that his move? Like, oh, I'm such an idiot. What was I thinking? No, look, verses 41 through 46 to close out our text. Now Esau hated Jacob. Ugh. He doesn't look inward at all. He looks out. Now Esau hated Jacob. Now Jacob legitimately deceived him, okay? <laughs> like I'm not soft-pedaling what Jacob did here. He should not have done that. But Esau's take on it is not, oh, I should have valued my birthright and inheritance more. No, I hate Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. My dad's about to die. And then I will kill my brother Jacob. 
but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebecca. She's got spies out like usual, two teams. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. He, he's, he doesn't know what to do with you, so he's going to comfort himself being like, well, I, here, I'll eliminate the variable. Just kill Jacob. Now I'll feel better. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Again, she just keeps telling her son to obey him. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. This also gives you some insight onto Esau, where Rebecca's like, he's a passionate guy, but like, give it a few weeks, it'll wear off. Like, some of you are like that. You get passionate, and then like, oh, I'm going to change my life, I'm going to organize my closet. And then you go to Target, and they don't have the thing you want, and you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's, I've lived with it for 20 years, I don't know. <laughs> Like, some of you are like Esau. You, like, you get all passionate, and then it doesn't work out exactly the way you want. And you're like, ah, well, whatever. <laughs> like, that's what Rebecca's like. He wants to kill you, but give him a few weeks. It'll wear off. Like, he's that kind of person. Like, if he right now, he would murder you, but a few weeks, it'll probably be fine. He'll even forget about it, is what she says. Then I will send and bring you back. Okay, so go there. We'll wait till Esau calms down. He'll punch himself out. And then we'll have you come back. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Why should I lose Isaac, my husband, and my favorite son all in one day? Go. Then Rebecca said to Isaac... I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So she doesn't even, nobody in this story just says what's true. She wants Jacob to go, but she doesn't say, hey, can Jacob go because Esau wants to kill him? She has to like, I need to get Jacob there without telling the truth. So she's like, oh, I don't like these women. And, like she, and she tries to find a way to get Jacob there, but nobody just comes through the front door on anything. Nobody just says what they're thinking. And that's part of the problem in this family. Like nobody just talks and says what they want. It's all like deceit and maneuvering and scheming. And so that's where the story ends, is where she's wanting to do that. So, so Esau is upset. He doesn't blame himself, but he comforts himself by murdering Jacob in his heart. And some of you, that's your move. Like, yeah, I would never kill anybody. I'm not like Esau. You hold a grudge? Somebody wrong you? Have a hard time letting it go? You can still hear the words they said. You've said it enough times that you can, you know the, it's, a, it's like a, you know the script. You can say it word for word. You remember exactly. You can hear the tone of their voice. You don't even know how they said it because you've thought about it so many times and you're just killing them. That's your move. I've created a little cell in my heart and I'm going to lock, 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 them, lock them in there and I'm just going to, that's where I punish them. That's where they get what they deserve. My bitterness. I'm just going to hate them and burn with rage in them in my heart. And when I talk to them, I'll smile through my teeth and they're like, ah, when I see them at family reunions, when I see them at gatherings where we still have to hang out. But in my heart, I'm going to murder them. And bitterness only kills the one who holds it. Jacob, doesn't, Jacob isn't harmed by Esau's bitterness. He's just out doing whatever he wants. But Esau's the one who's overwhelmed by it. He's the one who's walking around like, stupid Jacob, stupid Jacob. Like, and that's you. If you're holding a grudge, like, you're sitting there, you're so mad at them in your heart. They don't know. They're free. You're going around. Probably don't even know you're mad at them. Or maybe they do, but it doesn't hurt them. You're just killing yourself. By holding on to this bitterness, it's just eating you alive. Every day, every time you hear their voice, it eats you alive. They don't think of that interaction 20 times a day. They probably haven't thought about it in 10 years. It doesn't even occur to them anymore. They're free from it. You're the one in prison. All these attempts to box them in has actually boxed yourself in. And so Jacob does the move of going to envy and bitterness. Instead of harmony, which is where you compliment things like, oh, Jacob got rewarded. That's a bummer for me, but I mean, good for him, I guess. You know, I mean, that'd be a hard move to go to. <laughs> but you'd be like, instead of like complimenting it, he goes to envy, which flips everything on its head, which means when other people rejoice, I weep. And when other people are weeping, I rejoice. 
You got anybody in your life like that? When things go well for them, you're like, you hate seeing it on social media, like, oh, I can't believe they got an, another child. Them of all people, another child, ugh. They got pregnant again. I've been trying for two years, and I can't. And I, I know I'm a better person than them. I deserve a baby. You see somebody get a relationship. You see somebody get a job. You see somebody get an awesome house that you wanted. And instead of re- rejoicing with those who rejoice, you weep when other people good things happen because there's bitterness inside you. Or the opposite, you know, like when something bad happens to them, you celebrate. Like, yes, they finally got what's coming to them. They got what they deserve. Yeah. Score one for the home team. And some of you, that's your move. And the good news of this chapter is that you have all kinds of people scheming, all kinds of people trying to answer the question of what do they deserve and what do other people deserve. And even though God isn't really present in this passage, you see a lot of people who are people of God who don't really give much thought to God at all in this chapter, but God is there with grace and mercy in the background of all this, loving people who do not deserve it. Because the good news of the gospel is that God is a God of grace and mercy. Grace is getting good things that you do not deserve. It's, it's coming home from church and getting ice cream for my kids because I, they like ice cream and I love them. They didn't earn it. They didn't fulfill their chore charts. They didn't pay me the money. I just did it because I love them and it's good and I want them to have it. That's grace and that's who God is. And mercy is not getting the bad that you have earned. Mercy is when you deserve a ticket, when you have been speeding, when you deserve the ticket and the officer says, it's okay, lucky break today. Mercy, you don't get the bad you have earned. God is all about not giving us what we deserve. The good news is that God sent Jesus to live the life we didn't deserve. We didn't, we didn't earn the right for somebody to come and live on our behalf. And we didn't deserve to have somebody come and die in our place for all of our sins. None of that was something we deserved. But God is a God of grace and mercy. And the gospel is that we do not get what we deserve. And we should rejoice in that. That's good news. So when we think about what we deserve, look up. Think about what you actually deserve. What bad have you earned that God has let you free from? What good have you been given that you never earned? It's way better than you ever would have given yourself. Last verse for the day was we transitioned to like a time of communion and response. Hebrews 4.16. There's no confidence in a, in a deserved world. If you live yourself in a world of wages where everybody gets what they deserve, is the world a better place if people get what they deserve? No. It's just constant jockeying for the one thing and everybody trying to get what they deserve. The world is not a better place when it's oriented around wages. It's a better world when it's oriented around grace and mercy. Look what the Bible says. Let us then with confidence. You want confidence. Believe in grace and mercy of God alone who directs all things. Not of your own achievements, not what you deserve, not people getting what they deserve by killing them in your heart and even the score. Look to God. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You want confidence before God? Put your hope in grace and mercy. Look up and say, you've been so good to me and I don't deserve it. All the bad that I do deserve, you haven't treated me the way my sins deserve. Praise you, God. You are great. I love that this is the way the world really is and not the way that I would choose. I would make the world differently. I would reward myself differently. I would deserve different things. And none of it would be as good as what you want to give me. And I would punish people worse than they get. I would make sure that people get worse than what they're getting right now. But when I look inside, what do I really deserve? Thank you, God, for not treating me like my sins deserve. And that's how we respond with by taking communion. Jesus died in our place for our sins. 
And so we'll have the chance as a, as a corporate body to respond to the message by coming to the table, confessing our sins, that we need grace and mercy. Without it, if we only get what we deserve, we do not have to, we shouldn't expect anything good. But because God is good, and he offers grace and mercy in the form of a crucified Savior in our place. We can approach that. And then we're going to see baptism. We're going to see somebody respond by saying, that's the right move. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus. I'm with that. That's what my life is about. Not about wages, not getting what I deserve, not making sure other people get what they deserve. That. What Jesus did, that's what I'm going to orient my life around. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you've given us hearts that desire justice, that we want things to shake out where good people get what they want and bad people get what they deserve. And yet when we look in the mirror, we see the things that we deserve that we haven't gotten, and we are so grateful that you haven't treated us like our sins deserve. And if we're honest, we look at the good things we have, and we haven't earned them. The best things in my life have been gifts that were given to me that are even above what I ever asked you sent your son. We didn't want a son. We wanted a king to create a, a new, a new king on earth where, where just we had a world to live in and finally our, our, our local enemies were defeated and solve our problems that way. But you gave us something we never would have thought to ask for, a savior who lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death and rose triumphantly on our behalf. You gave us something far better than we ever would have asked. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for showing us that truth, even buried in an ancient text, watching a bunch of people scramble to get what they think they deserve. We can look up and say, God, thank you for not giving us what we deserve, and we worship you this morning because of it. Amen.